We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up? What's happening, everybody? Welcome in Tuesday, November 28th, OBR Film Breakdown, Comprehensive Breakdown with an opener before Andrew Spade here with me, back on track a little bit after a chaotic few days. Uh, I think we both have consumed enough of the game, especially from the all 22 angles, Andrew, that we can come to some good discussion points here uh, about what happened, why it happened, and the usual what we learned on Tuesday. I welcome you in first, buddy. What's happening? How are you? Doing good, Jake. I kind of got in the habit of these victory Mondays. And so uh, <laughs> a, a Monday where we got to break down a loss and kind of figure out what, what the hell happened and, and sort through our emotions. I mean, I think this is definitely a roller coaster season because it, it feels like the highs have been really high and, and the lows have felt pretty low. I, to me, this game, I don't know how you felt about it. I would group it with the Steelers game from week two in terms of a game where it just felt like, if they play a clean game, they probably have a chance to win, but they just keep making mistakes both sides of the ball, bunch of turnovers. And, you know, and then obviously the quarterback injury kind of mirrors the Chubb injury from week two, and you end up with a loss that, you know, this one wasn't close. I mean, obviously the Steelers game was close, but I don't know, man. It felt like it was in their hands until uh, the DTR injury, and then it really unraveled. I, I certainly get what you're saying. It felt like of the same mold. I think the, the Pittsburgh game early in the year was more – like they they weren't even functioning. Pittsburgh wasn't as an offense. Whereas I felt like we'll talk about this a little later. Sean Payton had a pulse on things. He had a better pulse, and and Russell Wilson played really well as opposed to Kenny Pickett, as we know. Who uh, all of a sudden, hey, listen, Kenny Pickett though, you know the guys in Pittsburgh, they're back in, they're back all the way in, and Jump that's a on. good thing. Jump on board. Jump on. We're about it anyway. So yeah, let's let's talk about what we learned because I think that's the best way to frame a lot of this stuff uh, when we when we kind of take you know big picture looks at things the first thing i wanted to hit on we agreed pre-show here is, is dorian thompson robinson made real strides like if you did not get a chance to watch that all 22 film yet either you don't subscribe to it or you don't you know find a bunch of clips on twitter chalk talk is available i tried to highlight as much as i could i might write this up i also want to write up a flacco film room this week so you can see what uh the most recent version of joe flacco was in case he starts this weekend we don't have a clean idea of that but um, you know, as we, as we start into this whole thing, Andrew, and we talk about, you know, what I should do is backtrack just, a, just a touch a little ahead of myself. We'll get to DTR in a second. The big news is that there are no huge injuries, yeah. right? So we learned today that miles Garrett dealing with the shoulder, no structural damage. He is day to day, no structural damage. And they wouldn't, <laughs> I know there's a little PTSD with shoulders and day to day verbiage for us right now at this point over the years, but from the perspective of a player who doesn't necessarily throw, well, he's not necessarily, he, I mean, you're using your shoulder as an edge player, but you're not using it in the same way a quarterback is. There is hope that there's a path forward immediately, but we don't know. It's day-to-day, but the good news is he would have told us, Kevin's been honest about it, Rodney McLeod, you made a good point as we were preparing for this, talked about it uh, Monday last week. Like If he was done, they would tell us. There wouldn't be a hiding of that sort of scenario. So the, it seems like the MRI came back, everything's structurally good. Negative x-rays on Amari Cooper's ribs. He just took a really, he's going to be beat up. He's sore. I mean, that was a, that was a hit helmet hit to the ribs and all that. Um, but listen, the good thing is none of these guys we were told are just done. And that was a fear. And again, 
with some scar tissue after what happened with Watson the week previous on a Wednesday, you find out he's done for the year like that. I think we had even at the OBR pre-written something that Miles Garrett was done for the year because he's in a sling and he hears a pop and you just one and one all that. So good news all around there, Andrew, that these guys are going to be at least fighting to play this weekend and there will not be a long-term ramification for two very important pieces of the pie here. Yeah, I think there was a feeling when Garrett said that post game last night that, you know, I, I, there was a sentiment that was out there and I, I share it where it was like, okay, well, you know, at a certain point, you just got to kind of ch- cash your chips in and head home, you know, because you're, you're, you know, you're playing without every meaningful player, every, every true superstar at that point. Uh, as I mean, uh, uh, you know, if, if a Cooper's out for a few weeks and Garrett's out for a few weeks, then, you know, you're missing Ward, you know, you start to think about who even the, the best player remaining on the team is. It's like a, it's a little bit of a mental exercise to name <laughs> who that would be so um yeah I mean it was it was good news that it's not as bad as we all feared I I do think we were all in that place and it just goes to show how truly this season has been defined by injuries first second and third you know you can talk about other other things when you get down the line how good the defense has been but you, you can't even really do service to that uh story without talking about the injuries because the way this defense is playing plus an offense that's even mildly healthy. And, you know, who knows what the record is? I mean, credit to them for being where they are considering the injuries, but it just keeps coming in waves. And there was a real feeling towards the end of that game last night of just like you almost want it to be done, you know, as much as everything's still in front of them where they want to go. But it it's, boy, it just <laughs> adversity on top of adversity. It is, man. It's It's overwhelming. And I think there's a discussion here about just like when is it too much? It probably would have been hearing that Miles was done today or hearing that Cooper broke a rib or something because they are flatlining on their guys. Like you can test depth and you can next man up in. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit because there are levels to the next man up conversation to be had, but they're pushing the envelope of like, we're just, he's the white tat. Like we can't do this. We can't keep plunging forward. And I think you felt as I did, Andrew, when PJ Walker arrives in this football game, it was done. It was it was done. I mean, it's, it's a guy coming in third, fourth quarter, cold, off the bench, and they had to throw it right. Like it just, it, it's it's a bad mixture. Let's let's kind of go through these now that we talked about the injury stuff. That's really all we learned from today. We're not going to learn anymore until middle of the week. The Browns are out in L.A. Um, we'll hope that the good weather, maybe some some good some good vibes on these guys who are a little beat up because they need to win this weekend, which we will dig into all of that later in the week. But it is a huge game out in L.A. for the Browns. But, yeah, let's let's dive in this game, what we learned. And again, I, I hit on Dorian Thompson Robinson a little bit ago just before that section. He made some of the best quarterback throws in this game, Andrew. I've seen from any quarterback on the Browns since early season Jacoby Brissett last year like he made four or five big boy throws that left me thinking even if Joe Flacco has a nice game this weekend if he starts or what I I think that they need to plunge forward with him as the guy see how real this young man can be because again they gave him some opportunities to push the ball vertically while not throwing it 20 plus yards downfield all too often he was more intermediate heavy in this game and there were real reads, there were real pocket navigation throws, and there were real flick of the wrist. Like, there's arm talent here that can really find some long-term success. So I left the game. I know the stat line's not amazing. I think he only threw for, like, 140. I know there were only three charted drops. I think if you look at, like, contested drops where Browns players had a real chance to catch the football, you're probably pushing six or seven. 14 of 29, 134 touchdown, playing three and a half quarters. I certainly see a world, I think we would align on this thought process-wise, where he gets up well over 200, that second touchdown, very possible, perhaps even on the ground. Like, again, the first two versions of Dorian, you questioned it. I hadn't seen it. Can he make enough of those throws? Well, he looked like the best quarterback on the field when he was playing in this game. And that's not a knock on Russell Wilson, who I thought, like just navigates games like he's a survivor at this point he knows how to just do enough but I thought Dorian like I raised my eyebrows on several different attempts it wasn't perfect there were some throws he missed those are documented also in chalk talk but he was good man and I'm like if this is the version of the young man moving forward like you can see why there would be some excitement about who he can be because he was seeing it pretty well he was ripping some throws into some windows and 
there was a belief among the team. I thought Andrew that like, yes, it's 14, six. We're fine though. We're going to go score here. We're going to get it back. We're going to score again. 17, 12. We're fine. And I honestly felt that way. 17, 12, they got the ball back. Although, you know, you wanted to get that thing to 14, 14, get it back clean. They give up a field goal, but I thought, man, they're right in the mix. Like they're going to win this ball game. I, I felt pretty confident because they had gone three drives Andrew, 1350, a field goal. I think another one, like 70, like 11 plays, 70 yards field goal. And then the, the, I think 14 or 15 plays and another, they've gone three straight drives of like, they're just beating these guys up in both phases. And, uh, I just, I don't know. I was, I was comfortable they could get it done. And then that happened and it sucked. It really sucked. Yeah. It's interesting, Jake, you said that to me pregame, that that was your takeaway that, you know, even if Flacco is, is okay, they'll probably want to go back to DTR because of the upside. And I, you know, that raised my eyebrows a little bit just because I think I, you know, between the way that Flacco talked last week at the press conference and, you know, I think just some of the early game struggles with accuracy that DTR had, I, I have kind of gone back and forth between thinking, you know, is it, is it just a little too early for him? Is the moment too big for him? Or, you know, can he actually get to where he needs to go this year? I, so I, I think I would also guess that a lot of our listeners are, are surprised to hear that level of confidence from you. So um, it's heartening, right? I think we did see, to your point, we saw some things that we wanted to see, but uh, man, I, yeah, you really wish that you got like a full game there because I think he was really finding it. And in Mm -hmm. that moment, even though that last drive where he got injured was only going backwards. um, You, you, you know, you say though on that drive, that first down throw to Njoku on the dig, it's like, you catch that man. That's like a 40, 50 yard play. Oh my God. It's a huge, and it's a great throw inside four Mm -hmm. Bronco defenders. He missed a curl flat read on second down the third play, which was supposed to be a third and seven. Mm Mm-hmm. I think James Hudson came on the field for a play. Yeah, Jones had to get his brace fixed and uh, Hudson came in for one and false started. (laughs) That's something I had to correct because having not consumed the all 22 on the show yesterday, I said that they were still rotating. Couldn't be more wrong about that. They, they, they had sent Hudson onto the field for a play. Of course he gets a false start. Now third and seven becomes third and 12. And I mean, God, if if the quarterback room's biggest takeaway is live to fight another down this off season, that's got to be. They got to just spend a whole day practicing throwing the ball away. Oh my God, uh, if, man! It, like just DTR could just put that one in hits. the stands. He could just put that yeah. one in the stands, and and he had three different opportunities to throw it away, and he wouldn't do it. And and when you look at the play from the the wide view, everybody's covered. There's nothing there. Yeah. You're not going to make a play in that situation on a third and twelve in your own end zone. And yeah, it's it is a. You know, maybe Flacco can talk some sense into these guys over the course of the next few weeks in terms of like taking what you can take and then being done because all of them, Walker, Watson, DTR, they they don't have that sense about them. You understand it with DTR. He's a rookie. He doesn't know when he's beat. The fact that Watson's still struggling with it is a different conversation that we will have this offseason, I guarantee you. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I felt like I'm right there with you. I felt like they got that ball back down five. They're going to go try and score again. The offense is clicking. They found the mixture of pass and run that they needed. Uh, and and I felt like they had a really good chance to win that game. You know, the defense, it's so hard to know with the defense because, you know, obviously he gets hurt. They blow that reverse play. And all of a sudden they've got a short field now knowing their starting quarterbacks out. It's They've been in that situation three or four times this year. It feels like the other team always scores a touchdown. They did hold them all the way to that third down with that yeah. crazy Adam Troutman sliding catch. And so, you know, it's by fine margins, and then it obviously gets away from them. They start going for fourth downs, and, you know, the uh, Broncos get a short field, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, uh, I, I yeah, I really thought he had arrived, and that was going to be – the rest of that game was going to be him kind of putting the NFL on notice. And obviously now here we are. And he looked the part. He yeah. looked comfortable navigating some rough – there are two throws where he couldn't even step into it and I'm not even talking about the fadeaway throw that I highlighted on Twitter, which was a remarkable feat of arm strength, timing, and delivery. Uh, I, I'm I'm talking about two throws, both both of which were, one of which was a curl to Cedric Tillman on like the third drive, where he can't even finish. I think he hits his hand on the helmet of Wyatt Teller, and then another one where he's delivering a ball uh, to Njoku on that corner route that looked like it could be a little high but he couldn't step into the throw again and, and can't finish the follow through and still reads it, processes it and delivers a, a throw to him. 
I, I mean, with me, I'm always curious, Andrew, how much is like you just your 50-50 anticipation throw you got right versus what you, that's why I want to see so much more. Is he seeing it? I want to know, like, can he consistently see it, process it, and deliver it? In this game, he was seeing it and processing it, and for the most part, delivering it really well. Even the ball that Njoku at the goal line got hit in the back, he processed that backside dig really well. He missed the throw, but he processed it. Like there were a couple curl flats that he didn't quite see the way I wanted him to see to deliver a throw. But for the most part, man, like really dialed in. And again, to the point that I'm like, all right, is this who he is? That's why you want to see that last quarter and a half to be like, all right, are you seeing everything? Are you sure? Like, cause again, some of these anticipation things as quarterbacks, you can, you can coin flip it. Think you got it. You don't, you don't have it. That's why you want to see if like, can he consistently do this? Because I'm just telling you, he's a plus athlete. He's not a burner. He's a plus athlete, though, that can use the legs, and he can really flick it. Like, his arm talent is is pretty good. The velocity is real for him. So if he can process it, he can make a lot of the throws. And again, I tweeted today, I haven't seen enough deep throws to really judge how he is as a deep thrower, but you didn't see really anything intermediate last week. So seeing that intermediate uptick was like, I need more. Now, short week in terms of like the turnaround concussion, can you feel comfortable pushing a young quarterback through concussion protocol and also feeling like he's prepared to play? I don't think you can. I'm like 20% he could play. Now he could come out of this the first, second day, feel really good. And maybe there's a route here, but I think if I'm a guessing man, it's Joe Flacco this weekend. If it's PJ Walker, no offense, I don't feel any kind of good about it. So I'm kind of like in between on all of this, Andrew. I feel like Joe Flacco's the way it leans this weekend, and then you give DTR a chance to come back home. Jaguars, not an easy game. We know they defend pretty well, but you are back home, and there's an advantage to that, not rushing it in that sense. I guess a lot of it is how he feels today or tomorrow, you know what I mean, to yeah. see where he's at. But I just I don't, I don't feel very strongly that he's going to be the, the guy out there this weekend. No, I agree with you. I think they have to be cautious with him because it is still a long-term thing because the the possibility Jake of what you, you know, what you're alluding to here, what his his ceiling could be gives them a legitimate second quarterback option for whatever happens with Deshaun Watson. And and that's not to say that the Browns want to move on from Deshaun Watson, you know, don't think he's the quarterback of the future. It's to say that he has a pretty severe shoulder injury that ended his season, right? And so they think he'll be ready for next year. I I don't think they should have any confidence that they know what Deshaun Watson they're getting back until they can mm-hmm. see him throwing. And I don't know when that will be. So as we start to, you know, we're looking ahead now just for a moment. Having DTR as an option and being able to add a playable backup as well, you know, potentially gives you depth in the quarterback room, which you didn't have at the beginning of this season, which, you know, put them in the situation that they were in, partially because you expect Watson to play all 17 games. Here they are. I I just think it's it this DTR developing in this way is meaningful for the future of the franchise as much as it is for the next uh, six games and the playoffs, right? And so they got to be careful with him. They got they have to they have to give him time to get right. You know, you you mentioned their home for the Jaguars. I, I I believe then their next game is also a home game for Chicago. It might even make sense to give him the two weeks. Let let Flacco play the Rams in Jacksonville, and and then DTR comes back against Chicago, a defense that uh, you know struggles to stop most anything. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I overall very encouraging. I, I um, was surprised by how much heat. Uh, I saw DTR taking after the game and, you know, and, and there were a few throws, like you said, that he missed, but I was surprised by that. Uh, And I was also surprised by the, you know, the, the real outcry, the very loud outcry, Jake, about the Browns not running the ball enough. I think it's so hard to know in these situations, how much of this is just coming from the announcers because the, you know, Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez Sanchez were, were, were just wrong all day long. I mean, there's, there's no other way to say it. They were wrong. They were loud and uninformed, you know, and that's, I, I take that personally because that's generally my job, right? So, uh, I, you know, if it starts there 
and they're second guessing. They were second guessing Sean Payton too. It wasn't like it was just Stefanski. They were going after Mark Sanchez was going after a Super Bowl winning coach in Sean Payton and and Kevin Stefanski, who has designed some pretty successful offenses over the past half decade. And he was going after him hard, like yeah, Mister Butt Fumble often. Yeah, exactly. And and so I I wonder how much of that kind of starts the conversation, and then people pick it up and run with it because it was a frustrating loss. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of lot of frustration about how little they ran the ball. I didn't see that, uh, and I, I I think you're with me on that. The question is in the moment, in the midst of again these drives, right? You know, they have the first drive that's three and out to start the game. I get that right next drive is moving six plays 28 yards you get this unfortunate scenario where it's third and one and Harrison Bryant is clearly going to pick up the sneak but they called false start on Ethan Posich for touching really the ball. strange call for touch like really they called him moving the ball so okay now it's third and six Tillman almost I thought Tillman was at the mark for the first down they go to go to, to, to do the exact same sneak again and you can see Bryant is in a, in a real hurry to take the snap and get just left to sneak in the crease because they had three pinched down linemen. And, he, you know, he doesn't keep the hands under center long enough. And they've done that all year. So you have, first of all, people telling on themselves about you haven't watched the Cleveland Browns if you think that, that putting Harrison Bryant under center is a problem. They've done it all year successfully among the best teams in the NFL. So that's an unfortunate outcome. You know who else fumbled the ball under center in this game? Russell Wilson, right? Mm-hmm. It happens. Bounce it just right back happens occasionally. So that's unfortunate. You then punt your next drive out, but then they go, like I said, 1357, 1167, and 1373. In those moments, when you're clicking, your quarterback is playing well. Who in their right damn mind is saying, oh God, you know what? They should probably be running it a little bit more. No one's saying that. No one's saying that. It's stupid. You sound stupid. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend you. You sound stupid. Because if you're watching those three drives, and you're thinking they should have run the ball more, you're not processing the game in any way that is above me, like decent IQ watching football because there's no complaining. They're they're pushing the football downfield. Now, you can say, you know, they're struggling in the high red zone here. They should probably run a little bit more, but that's condensed. It's difficult to run it down there the way you want, and they got good opportunities to score in those and had one thing break against them, right? You talk about Elijah Moore running the wrong route. When Tillman had a chance to catch it in the corner of the end zone, you're talking about a ball tip that was thrown to David Bell, a, a really nice reactionary play by a nose guard sitting there watching the quarterback's eyes, not even pressuring. But like, to me, what you're doing is it's 17, 12. The Browns are getting PJ Walker cold off the bench into the game. They try to run a reverse. Here's what I don't like. This is the fair nitpick. Don't put Elijah Moore in the backfield and run reverses. Stop. Don't do it. When you put Elijah Moore in the backfield and you put Pierre Strong, two guys who do not do the things you're asking them to do, guess who also is thinking that's strange? The defense. Something's up. They're going to run this with the, you know, I understand they have occasionally, occasionally run some handoffs to Moore that have gone into the fold and they've tried. It's not been a thing that you're game planning for because it's not an effective, effective thing. It just raises the eyebrow. Okay, he's in the. It's not empty and they have a running back out wide. That's also strange. Here's what you should do. Just put Pierre Strong in the backfield and have him flip it to Elijah Moore. Like Elijah Moore is a 4-3 guy as well. Like like you're just making that that part. I don't mind trying to create easy yards when P.J. Walker comes in. But don't do it in a sense that like you're yelling at the defense. To like like you're, you're basically saying, hey, look out. Like that's what you're doing when you have those players in alignment using them that way. I didn't like that part. But when that game is 17-12, and now P.J. Walker has to come in, and then you you talked about the Troutman miraculous catch in the corner, it's 24-12, and you're you're at the what 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 point did they score that? There's 12 minutes left. You have to create two touchdowns. So of course you're not going to run it anymore, right? Of course you're not going to run it anymore. You have to create touchdowns. You know, a couple a couple runs for two three yards. And then you're asking PJ Walker to once again on a third and eight find success. And we know how hard that is for him. So what you're doing is you're, you're upset. You're mad. They lost. And you're trying to look at the box score to justify it. Where in the moment, nobody after those three drives, Andrew is thinking when the way PJ Walker is dialing it up, they should have been running more. No, you're not thinking that. And don't try to tell me that PJ Walker didn't deliver the football on first down or sorry, that, that Dorian Thompson-Robinson didn't deliver the ball on first down of that drive. He got hurt, right? Like, 
I'm just I'm frustrated by the stuff that we come up with after the game to justify your anger. Yeah. They lost. Yep. They lost. It sucks. The quarterback got hurt, but they were rolling. They were rolling in a three straight drive scenario and could have punted at 17-12, which after that situation, they got it back a couple more times off of punts. They got the, you know, after that Troutman touchdown, there's three of the next four drives are punts. The one drive that ended in a field goal was a, a short field. So you could have hung around, you know, you just, like we said earlier, you need DTR to throw it away and live to yeah. live to fight another down. So I just think the run the ball stuff, like again, Denver's defense is not good, but they've been better. They, they're not the same 70 burger pushover unit that, that you think they are like, they're not good. They could have been run on more, of course, you know, maybe, but the Browns putting together three straight plays, three straight series of, of nearly 200 yards is evidence and in the middle of those if you're thinking to yourself in the middle of those three drives like and at the end as they would get the result of a touchdown you know man they've scored here but they just should have ran it more that nobody was thinking that nobody was thinking that so it's just it's reactionary stuff and you're looking to be mad and that's what you're picking to be mad about you know and that's i'm, yeah. I'm kind of over it. i'm just yeah. over it i'm over no, it, it, man. it it's it's I'm tough over it. and, I, and again i think a lot of it does come from the announcers because they were harping on it a lot even even you know I, I think there was one or two times where the Browns successfully completed a pass for a first down and Mark Sanchez was like, you'd still like to see him run it more. I mean, he was, he was second guessing successful play calls. So I, you know, I, there's not much you can do about that. Um, the two other things that I think are worth mentioning is context. One, they got down in a 14 zip hole right away, which yep. is definitely going to limit the number of runs you want to call. Right. And, and two is the Broncos were loading the box. You know, there were eight men in the box routinely because they knew, based on the, the game plan the Browns put out for the Steelers, that they were not going to let Dorian Thompson-Robinson throw it. That was their assumption. So yeah. they were they were daring him to throw the ball. It's the exact same way the Browns played Clayton Toon of the Cardinals back in, in whatever week that was. You, you just don't respect the pass game. That's, what, that's the look the Broncos were giving the Browns. So based on that, Kevin Stefanski is going to call – pass plays that give his, you know, young quarterback some pretty easy opportunities because he's going to see pretty predictable coverages because they're trying to load the box. So there's and nothing. I just have to say again, Andrew, the team that a team is week one of the, this, the Denver team, much like your Cleveland Browns are not anywhere near the same team. They were weeks one through five that they've been the last five weeks. These things evolve. And again, our point before the game between you and I was, Denver is playing better, but they're still vulnerable in certain things. And the Browns found those vulnerabilities. They were marching down the field multiple times to take points at almost at ease yeah. at times. Yeah. They got stopped a couple times in the in the red zone, but mm -hmm. they were moving it really well. Yes. And the, the injury changes the scope of everything. Yeah. It yeah. changes the scope of everything. And again, I just want to reiterate, like, they're not, you, you know, I see the sentiment out. This is the worst run defense in the NFL. That's not really the case to me. And the, the, the same with the Bears. The Bears are playing better defense. Like for five straight weeks, they're coming up on the schedule. They're playing pretty good defense. So, yeah, the whole season doesn't look good, but they're improved. And the same with Denver. They were improved. So it's not like you were running. Every single run was a 15-yard run or something. They could be run on. And that was our point. You're not living in fear about some recent success. The Browns won't do that with Chicago either, but they're certainly not like where you look back and try to poke fun at like, this is the worst run. Go look at the metrics, man. Their EPA against the run has been pretty good for the past five weeks. Pretty good. At least around where the Browns defense is. Now let's, let's talk about that. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't, I don't know. I thought JOK played wonderful at times. I haven't even looked at pro football focuses grades, which is a healthy way to live life these days. I just, I left thinking twofold. They're getting schemed up in the run game more than I'm comfortable with. Like they're fine. Teams are finding either. I wrote up the zone read issues that they're having, which are concerning. Now they won't deal with that so much in LA because Matt Stafford's more statue, but we know Russell Wilson isn't the, the gifted runner. He used to be, but they're just, this is a looming thing with Justin Fields as we're watching Monday night football. It's like these teams that can run their quarterback are giving them fits. They are not, assignment sound on that stuff at times and it's catching up with them in the run game man and like 
they're giving up explosives. Now we know the vulnerabilities of the defensive style they're playing, but I'm sure you like me saw, and I don't know if it's all Denzel driven because teams are certainly picking on Newsom. They they certainly were. This was a situation where Cortland Sutton inbreakers were a thing all day. Like there's very clearly to me uh, just just schemers. Let me put it this way: guys who can scheme Andrew are finding ways to put this defense in bad spots. Now, again, you look at the the stats from this one, man, like it's tough to get mad at the defense. They gave up 294 yards, right? Mm-hmm. They, they gave up of their own, you know, efforts here. They pretty much gave up under 20 points if you don't have three turnovers. Yep. So I'm not mad at them, but they're certainly like, I see where they can be schemed up. And, and I don't think it's like, they're not infallible. Like, and I know we've said that at points that we get it, but, there just are these times where, and I worry about it, the guys like Sean Payton, the guys who can really design offenses, are going to give them some fits. And uh, I think that that was pretty evident. Payton had a real feel for what the, the rules were that the Browns live by and put very real stress on them in this one. And I worry about that with McVay this weekend, too. Yeah. You know, these guys who can who can draw it up. Yeah, no, I think the, I think the Browns have benefited – you know, this year as a defense, they have benefited from a schedule that is heavier than average on either play callers or quarterbacks or both that are limited. And when you've seen them go up against play callers, even with limited quarterbacks like Gardner Minshew, for example, but, but a play caller that's able to get to some stuff that gives them trouble, some simple stuff, if run well, they, they run into trouble. So, the games where this defense has been sort of out of its mind dominant. You think back to Joe Burrow's hurt week one, right? You think you think back to week three against the Titans when it's Ryan Tannehill and and you know they, he can't throw an accurate pass to save his life, right? You think about uh, you know the, the both engagements with the Steelers, the the Cardinals with Clayton Toon. These these are limited offenses, fundamentally very limited offenses, and when the offense is limited and sometimes one dimensional the Browns can be smothering because they they will not allow a team to get in any sort of a rhythm. And, you know, you have one negative play and now you're playing defensively. What we saw with the Broncos is that they stayed ahead of the sticks. They put the pressure on the Browns defense. And as you said, found a few run schemes that worked really well. And were able to put together these longer drives. You know, I think it's worth, you know mentioning for context that those longer drives there were plays on both of them where they had very clear opportunities to get off the field there was a Russell Wilson scramble or two you know that like you mentioned earlier there's the drop snap which could have been a turnover there there were plays out there to be made that weren't being made at times but I I agree with you that from a scheme perspective the Browns struggle with an offense that can be a little bit I guess the word is multiple and I'm certainly concerned about the Rams. I, I think we, you know, Stafford had a really good game against uh, the Cardinals. You know, Kyron Williams is back and and is the, exactly the type of back that gives the Browns a ton of trouble. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm worried about the Rams. I'm worried about the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence can run it a little bit. Justin Fields, you mentioned. Yeah. Then we're talking C.J. Stroud. The defense will be tested over the next month, and I think you your point is correct that they you know are responsible fully responsible for less than 20 points in this one, but they're also responsible for the Browns getting down 14, nothing and having to play from behind for the entire game. And I think that's the problem. Well, the formula we constantly talk about wasn't followed. They had more plays, but they didn't control time of possession and they didn't control turnovers. Right. And this was as big a formula game because there were two teams butting heads that like to use the same formula to an extent, but we didn't see a synchronization between the pressure in the, in the coverage in a big sense. So there's a couple things to close on. First is the, the opening stuff creeped up again. Brown's first three possessions, three, 24, three Broncos. First three possessions, 80, 30, 80, 13 and 80, 14, nothing. They, they have talked about the slow starts and that catches up with you because just, if you get 14 points on the board against the Browns right now, you really kind of only need like one more drive or two. Right. And they had a 70 yard drive for a field goal. And then, you know, a 20-yard short field touchdown, but then another 42-yard drive late in the game for a field goal. Like, they're playing pretty well 
but they gave up these two chunky drives at the beginning of the game. And it was the first game, Andrew, that I can sit here and think like, I don't feel like they're controlling the line of scrimmage, rushing the passer. And some of that's credit to Russ because he can float backward and do that stuff. But, you know, it could have been the same. There's no different than how they played Brock Purdy to a large extent, but Purdy can't do sort of some of those fadeaway type of decisions, right? And they, they picked on Greg Newsom, which is the last of the points here. Talk about the slow start. They can't have it. They can't win that way. They're not built to do it. You Future years, maybe. Not now. But the last point is like the depth is tested in a, in a unique way. There's no point. There's no, sorry, there's no doubt. If you look at the Browns injuries and the impact of the injuries they're dealing with, it's some of the worst in the NFL right now. Get it. Totally do. But in a game where Mike Ford is on the field a ton, names that you wouldn't expect out there a lot, Tony Fields, right? Greg Newsom cannot be the hunter. Like he, they cannot be hunting that guy to, to pick on him. Yep. Like if you, if you're going to test the brand, like the big players they have out there have to play big, right? I didn't think Amari Cooper played big in this game. The big players they do have have to play. And David and Joku again, key drops, man. And it sucks because I thought he defeated that from his early career, but he's just not, He's not finishing plays and they need their big bodies, their big names that they do have healthy to be, to be the guys. And right now, for the most part in this game, one week, they didn't get that. Now they were able to beat the Steelers where they didn't get that to a large extent, but they, because the Steelers are a mess Mm -hmm. right at that time, but in the Broncos clicking a team that's playing pretty well. And you're going to get that with the Rams. Now the Rams are again, like five and six. They're not great, right? They're not great, but they have enough people with a healthier Matt Stafford now that they can they can beat anybody. They can beat anybody. And the Broncos are on the current beat anybody path. Browns could have beat them, right? But the Broncos are playing well enough that they're going to capitalize on those things if you don't make the winning plays. And they didn't make the winning plays. So I'm just saying, man, the depth is going to continue to be tested, could be tested this weekend more than we've ever seen. We'll see. But their guys who are their guys have to step up. They have to play big. They have no choice or they're going to just lose. They're going to lose these ball games, man. Yeah. And there's a difference, too, between like uh, the sort of depth like Dorian Thompson Robinson. That's a player that the Browns are not expecting to play a snap this year. And then there are other players that are expected to be what I would consider role players, right? And so the, the, the guys at the top of my list, you already mentioned Newsom. And I think that was pretty obvious to anybody who was watching that he struggled yesterday and he struggled in two phases. He struggled to do basic coverage stuff. He, he looks real wooden uh, in looks coverage. Slow. Yeah. Looks yeah. Slow. Hesitant, very hesitant. He also struggled with tackling again, uh, both in his angles and his, uh, you know, uh, toughness or, his, you know, affecting the ball carrier. Another name that I want to mention here is Elijah Moore, because Elijah Moore is a player that, that was brought in to be sort of the complementary piece to Amari Cooper. And I think we're far enough into the season now to say that we haven't seen that at all. And and we talked earlier in the year, Jake, about how he was used. But man, I like there was there's some times in this game where he, you know, you mentioned the the one in the end zone to Tillman. That's a that's a slot fade to Tillman that Elijah Moore decides to go after for some reason, as if it's intended for him. He should know it's not intended for him. And he he bumps Tillman. So whatever chance Cedric Tillman have, has of making that play. More, more playing more defense than either of the defensive backs for the Broncos there. And the worst part of it is he just jogs off the line. Like he thinks the ball is going the other way. Right. And, and, and then, yeah. Yeah. It's I bad. It it's you really bad. It, it's out there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an really bad. Game. And there, you know, there's, there are other examples, right? I, yeah. I, you know, and even, even honestly, even his pitch on the reverse play is not great. Like he's really throwing it at Pierre Strong. I, I just feel like, th- you know, this is a player that was expected to ascend to a contributing piece. And right now he is not doing that. He is, to me, he is the same caliber player as David Bell, Cedric Tillman. They traded Donovan Peoples-Jones. He's in that mix of guys that are around, but not making a difference on a weekly basis. He was supposed to be a guy that if Cooper's getting covered and having a game like yesterday where he's really getting the business, now you've got somebody else that can step forward. He's not doing it. Same thing with Greg Newsom. First round pick a few years ago. Denzel Ward is out for this game. That's the player that should ascend to take the place of your 
number one corner who is missing the game with injury. And there's a few others I want to mention here. I thought Wyatt Teller at times was bad again yesterday. You know, he's being paid as a top five guard in the NFL, and he gets he gets beat like a drum sometimes, man. And there there are certain types of defensive tackles that really give him headaches. Yesterday was one of those days for him. Um, and then, you know, talk. let's go back and talk about the run defense because I thought the linebackers, aside from JOK, were all really, really unimpressive. And so part, part of the defensive scheme, we talked about this all the way back in the offseason, the linebackers make the play right. Well, there's a lot of plays yesterday where the linebackers made it worse. Sione Takitaki was indecisive between gaps. The, the Jordan Kanasich snaps are, I mean, I don't know what he's doing out there, man. Like he's not playable. No, he's and, not, and he playable. he tries to take on a block and just gets knocked over. I, I I mean I've never seen such a lack of physicality from an NFL linebacker. Considering he's a special teams player, you'd think he'd have that. So my point here is not to say that the team is is bereft of talent. My point here is to say the injuries to their sto- superstars have created opportunities for guys to step up. We have seen it in some cases, but what one of the things that jumped off of the film to me from yesterday was a bunch of guys not taking opportunities. And that's very frustrating considering the opportunity that they had and where they're at in the season. It's time. It's time for these guys to kind of lift up and, and you know, all right, Ward, you're out for this game. I got you, bud. You know, uh, yeah. Cooper, you're having a rough game. I got you. I'm, you know, I'm going to make two or three catches yeah. and really make something happen. And I'm, I'm seeing some guys that just are not up to that challenge, and it's very frustrating. It was a bad time for Dalvin Tomlinson game. Rough one. He did not play well, did not handle the anchoring of double teams. And again, Denver Denver won the line of scrimmage. That's going to happen. Like it's going to happen. There's no there's you can't do it every week. It doesn't it doesn't go that way. But but you need to if they're going to be handled line of scrimmage, you need to cover really well. And they didn't cover really well. And I didn't even think Martin Emerson played a, a very good football game either. So like there wasn't synchronization on defense. I will give Cedric Tillman some credit. I was like four or five times in that game where I'm like, "Oh, okay." Right. This is the guy we thought that they could see out of camp. So a step in the right direction for him. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the, the, the second part of this podcast. But yeah, I think the names you hit are fair. I think the names you hit are fair. I mean, Elijah Moore to just have a like a, like a full meltdown on that very key play. Right. You, you, you hate to you hate to pick on these guys, but but they're just not stepping up to the standard that they're either a first round pick or they were traded for like their guys who they're paying money to are under the microscope. When you lose all of the pieces they've lost, you need the guys who are now stepping into the forefront of the, of the microscope by being the guys they're paying well or have cared about getting, selecting, and deciding on. You have to be good. And, and for the most part, they're 74. The most part, they have been. Totally. They've been fine. Yeah. Right? Elijah Moore has even had some better games lately, but they just weren't good enough yesterday yeah. for your Browns to win collectively. And that's why. 2912 happens, right? right? Among other things we've talked about here. So, yeah, it's, a lot of stuff. It's not yeah, I'm not I'm really not trying to pick on players and call guys out. It's it's really more offered in the in the sense of there were opportunities to make plays that weren't made, right? I yep. mean that, you know, the and and that's that's what becomes frustrating because I I it's very easy for me to see this game going differently if if some of those opportunities get taken. No doubt, man. We're going to have to hope that they take those opportunities with the Rams. They they just have to play better. Like sometimes you guys will want a granular piece of information about this, that, and the other. And we try to give that to you. Chalk Talk provides it. We try to write a little bit of it. Collectively, they have to play, but they have to win the one-on-one battles. They have to be better. Hopefully they will be in the Dome in LA. That's all we can say. Maybe the altitude changes and they just, they come back, they, they come back ready to go. And that's Sweet. A, that's the big level. That's, Right. That's a big part of who they've been this year, too, is when they faced adversity, when yep. they've been down, they've lost a game, they've bounced back really well. Now, not easy being out west and not being home and all that stuff. But again, we want to talk about how serious they are about making the playoffs. We'll see what the the sort of surrounding details are about this. This could all like if Miles doesn't play and there's some other stuff. It starts to still get really hard. But if they're all playing and you get a healthy version of a quarterback, whether that's DTR or Flacco, like you, you can. You can see a path to winning, but it's not going to be easy. But but I want to see how they bounce back. I want to see how they respond to uh, the challenge of not playing well because that's been a big part of who they are is is bouncing back. So that's the opener. Good stuff from Andrew. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that. We try to hit on as many things we learned as possible. We're going to get into the details. I'm going to switch up how we do the comprehensive stuff and try to frame it out a little differently than just reading you grades. I think that's 
sometimes silly. I'm trying to rethink some different angles of the the solo element of the pod I do. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that when we come back from break. But until then, thanks to Andrew. Uh, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsors, and then we will flip over and talk about some of the the scheme and performances of individual guys. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, going to start on offense in this one. Have some notes. Going to talk about who I thought played well, who I thought didn't play well. Just kind of going to go through it one by one. So snap count wise, because I think that's important to look at from a snap perspective, always to have a gauge of who's playing a lot, who's not. Your front five played pretty much the same group throughout. You did have the one snap that wasn't actually a recorded snap for James Hudson with the penalty, but pretty much 73 across the board. I think Hudson also came on the field one time for Jerron Christian as well. Tillman played 65 snaps, Elijah Moore 63, David Njoku 62, Amari Cooper 54, DTR 52 before being hurt, 51 from Jerome Ford, so your running back splits 51 for 19, Kareem Hunt, Pierre Strong only on the field twice, like I said wide receiver splits laid out there, Cooper was on the field 54 before he got hurt obviously, David Bell found 13 snaps, 
and then PJ Walker played 21 to to DTR's 52, and then tight end splits. And Joku played 62, Harrison Bryant 14, Jordan Akins 10, as well. Extra lineman, Michael Dunn on the field seven times in that role. Nick Harris on the field five times in his um, various fullback roles as well. So that summarizes a little bit of that. Personnel-wise, this was the highest grouping of 11 personnel they have played all year. So 80% of snaps came from 11 personnel. So an idea here of trying to spread out Denver as much as they could. And some of it's you're down 14 nothing early, trying to do various things in the passing game, balancing out the run game right as best you can. Interesting note here, only 21.4% of snaps had motion. That's the lowest number they've had in 2023. So didn't want much pre-snap movement in this one. Looking at DTR's day, he grades uh, as one of the better offensive players. I think if you're looking at just his passing grade for the game, he gets a 69.1. P.J. Walker, when he came in, 17 snaps, a 39.7. Two turnover-worthy plays, which were fumbles. They did give him one big-time throw. I thought DTR deserved some big-time throw love on his end, just me personally, but that's just the vibe I had on his performance. But looking at the granular bit here, the thing that stood out to me, because what I want to talk about is like what teams are trying to do to slow them down. You know, They, they came after Dorian. He was blitzed on 18 dropbacks. The 51% number of blitz per dropbacks is the highest of any team's defensive approach in 2023. So... That's worth noting. And he kind of handled it okay. Not as many completions as you would like. 8 of 18, but 85 yards of touchdown against Blitz stuff. A lot of shotgun in this game. 74.3 shotgun percentage. It's three straight weeks over 70% of shotgun. So that trend continues. You really also like that they were up from 3.6 air yards per dropback, which is an insanely low number. As we know, they did against Pittsburgh in that game last week they went up to 7.3 from DTR in this one so that's really encouraging to see that number go up right Um, but but again collectively they had the second worst turnover EPA in a single game this year so that's the crux of the offense's issues because besides that they had the fifth best EPA game of total offense all season so again you're talking about so, sort of two things. If you take out the turnovers, it's actually a pretty good game for them offensively. You'd probably see that creep toward the top. They were on the path to have it be one of their better games, right? The problem was third downs where they were 2 of 13. That was the worst they've had all season this year on a third down percentage conversion. 2 of 5 on uh, fourth down attempts as well, which again, worst they've had in a single game this season. Four drops. Could have easily been six. I see why they don't give those labels drops, but the the contested catch stuff where the Browns, uh, you know, receiver, I think has an advantage over the DB ends up not coming down with the football. You know, that's the stuff we try to document. I thought there could have been six labeled drops where the Browns had an advantage. Run game stuff here. So weeks eight, nine, and ten, the Browns had twenty three inside zone snaps. They've only had one over the last two weeks, which I find interesting. Odd front teams, but. I, I would like them to be able to run inside zone. Not doing that, gone away from it. Outside zone in this game, six carries uh, for 34 yards, 5.7 per attempt, power counter stuff. Your gap schemes, eight for 47 for 5.9. And the Browns really like to run lead concepts, whether that's the front side guard or a tight end fullback. Five carries, 24, 4.8. You know, they ran it pretty well. They ran it with nice balance, I think, is what's important to note. And, you know, obviously if it's a more neutral game, they would have run it a little bit more late in the game. But you're chasing points down 24-12, you're not going to see a ton of rush attempts at that point. Even if you do have a backup quarterback challenging to get back into the football game, you're fighting the clock battle pretty much nonstop. But again, I thought Dorian Thompson-Robinson took a lot of steps in the right direction. Other players, I thought, played pretty well in this one. You know, your best running back... Uh, and this one is Jerome Ford, in my opinion. I thought he he played the best of the group. Nine carries, 65 yards, 27 yards after contact. He forced one missed tackle, three-plus carries over 10 yards. Again, sort of a fine average NFL running back. Needs to certainly have a better uptick in 
production win in the passing game. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Kareem Hunt, seven carries, 22 yards, not very efficient in his opportunities. Uh, Certainly worth noting there. The pass blocking for Jerome Ford was not good. He did allow a pressure, which hurts his overall mark there um, collectively. Quickly looking at wide receiver splits, pretty even in terms of guys who played inside-outside. 15 Cedric Cedric Tillman snaps in the slot, 29 outside. Elijah Moore, 19 in the slot, 28 out wide. And then 14 for Amari Cooper and 24 out wide. They're moving those guys around quite a bit. You know, if they use a blocking wide receiver in line, Cedric Tillman will do that role. But worth noting that they're moving those three around, uh, like I said, a pretty good bit at this point. You, You like what you saw from Cedric Tillman, four for... 55 on five targets, right? Pretty good stuff overall. Didn't have a drop. Thought he showed some physicality and route running. He just looked like a competent NFL Z, right? And I I think that was important to see. Elijah Moore, three catches on eight targets, including a a drop on his end late in the game. 44 yards. Amari Cooper, two for six, 16 yards. He's credited with no drops, but a lot of footballs that were difficult for him to catch, but certainly... Footballs you see Amari Cooper bring in quite often. Hopefully the ribs are okay. And Joku, 6 of 9, 59 yards. He's credited with two, should have been two drops. One very important drop over the middle of the field that could have been a huge play on a key 17-12 situation on the scoreboard. So that's tough. Uh, Best players up front, Postage, Batonio, Michael Dunn, when he stepped onto the field a little bit. Dewan Jones, Jerron Christian, pressures allowed. Dewan allowed four, including a sack. Jerron Christian allowed six. Wyatt Teller allowed three in a sack. So those two are responsible for the sacks and a a good majority. Thirteen pressures come from Jones, Christian, and Teller, which is um, not exactly what you want to see in the pass-blocking phase, right? So that's, uh, that's a bit of your general overall stuff. True pass sets. Jerome Ford allowed three, um, sorry, allowed a single hurry pressure on three of those opportunities, so that's why the grade reflects the way it does. And then you had 10 allowed pressures from the Jones, Jerron, Christian, Wyatt, Teller tandem, a trio, I should say. So that's where the struggle came from in pass blocking. Run blocking stuff, your best guys up front. Dewan Jones gets a stellar, stellar grade in the run blocking phase. Wyatt Teller as well, Cedric Tillman chipping in from the wide receiver position. Those are your best marks. Worst marks in pass, sorry, run blocking. Harrison Bryant, David Njoku, so not very good from the tight ends. Jerron Christian, the bottom here, and then Ethan Posich at the bottom as well. But collectively, they run block pretty well. So the offense, man, it was about, you know, some play action, gun play action, which I think was effective for them. They, they tried to incorporate that into some of their gun run stuff. Worked. Thought DTR did a good job of attacking layers of zone concepts. Did a good job with curl flat for the most part. If you want to see more uh, film-based conversation on that, check out Chalk Talk. Went through a lot of his throws. Some really good stuff overall. Probably looking at Joe Flacco to start this weekend uh, as well. So we're going to have to see what they do with the offense and how it alters things. On defense, we switch over there now. So uh, this one was interesting. The, the, the Browns ran seven... Uh, Schwartz defense seven cover zero snaps that's the most they've had in any game this year so that's like zero over the top help so they really wanted to get after Russell Wilson with seven cover zero snaps they blitzed 11 times right the problem was on those 11 blitz snaps seven of eight Wilson went for 74 yards he didn't have a problem with it He, he stayed alive he drifted he did what he needed to do to pick up the necessary time to deliver the football. Browns played 21 snaps in 4-3, 28 snaps in nickel, 3 and dime. So they played a lot of three linebacker looks, as you would expect down the safety situation that they're dealing with, right? 12 explosive plays allowed, 7 runs of 10-plus, 2 passes of 25-plus. Just not acceptable to have that many 10-plus plays in a game, and especially weird when you consider they didn't even go for 300 yards. 13 was the most we've seen in a single game this year of 10-plus, that was against Seattle. So that's a, a bit disheartening that they allowed that many chunk plays around a collectively decent overall game. The 42% on third downs is the second highest they've allowed this year, only to Indianapolis, when they had a 46.7% conversion. 
So again, two of their worst efforts. Just by EPA, it was their worst game of the year, second worst success percentage game of the season. They actually they had their worst performance against the run from a success defensive success percentage. So that's telling of uh, you know how much they struggled in the run phase in this one. Uh, the second worst pressure to sack percentage conversion number in the in the entire year, four point three percent, right? Seattle, they only had 2.6%, but they did make some key sacks late in the game. This one, they didn't get any of that. So you had 17 pressures, only one of which resulted in a sack. So that 4.3% number, not exactly what you want to see, and especially concerning when they had a 44% blitz percentage in this one, which is the second highest of the season. So they blitzed a lot, got a decent amount of pressure, but they weren't able to get rust to the ground. And then another number that stood out to me that I wanted to hit on was they had 1.69 yards before contact in the run game, which tells you that the first initial contact more often than not happening on the other side of the football, and that's the worst number they've had since Seattle, where Seattle went for 2.59 in that one. So the run defense, obviously a, a pretty big problem. And it's, you know, when you look at who played well, JOK gets a really strong grade seven tackles, six stop tackles. That's the best version of him. Just just electric in both phases. So Darius Smith has five pressures. Alex Wright, 30 snaps, has two pressures. He gets a strong grade. And then Sione Takitaki gets a 69 grade, which is kind of, to me, I mean, I think they're being generous there a little bit. Four stop tackles. They credit him with some pretty good coverage. I thought he was fine overall. At the bottom, the guys that hurt them in this one, Greg Newsom. Played pretty poorly. I thought Okoronkwo did not have a very good contain-based game, especially fitting the run. Again, Newsom allowed four catches on seven targets for 74 yards, a large chunk, including the obviously that would be much much higher in the 40-yard addition if you talk about the pass interference that he committed. And then he also kind of got the, the for, good fortune of what I thought was a really shoddy offensive pass interference call. So... It's it's better on the surface. The grade is ugly, but it's even better on the surface uh, than than it could have been for Greg, who was a the guy they were picking on. Again, seven targets, nobody else above three in coverage. That's who you were getting picked on against Cortland Sutton. Dalvin Tomlinson gets a low grade, and I think it's fitting. He did not have a very good anchor run defense game, just not, not quite up to par for what he traditionally has done. And then Jordan Kunasic back this week on the field for 13 snaps, and it was not pretty. Not pretty. They they can't play him right now. That's that's sort of where I'm going to have to leave that. They can't they can't put him on the field. I prefer Matthew Adams on the field. Kunasic slow and, and weak coming back from injury. Thought that stuff was pretty obvious. Browns did some exotic pressures here and there. Didn't get the results they wanted from it. Like I said, Zadarius had five. That led the team. Miles Garrett, a quiet day as he dealt with the shoulder injury. Only one pressure. I can't really think of very many 63.4 grades in Miles' career from a pass rush perspective. I mean, every single game has been above at least a 71. And at least, I mean, the, the small side of things, he's had games with some three pressures. But one pressure in a game, I'm going to have to track his career right now. He had one pressure at Miami last year. So that's a low number in 22. In 2021, he had a game with zero pressures against Houston. So that's, uh, I guess he's maybe good for one of these a season, it looks like. He had one pressure in 2020 at Pittsburgh, but he had a sack. I guess he had one pressure against Las Vegas in 33 snaps. That's one of his worst games. So this is like one game a year where he's like this. This was the one game where he gets a, Gets a really low mark uh, in this one. Two tackles, two stop tackles, but you know, not the miles that we're, you know, sort of accustomed to seeing at this point in his career, where he's he's just a you know, just a dominant force. We didn't see as much of that as we're traditionally used to. So again, one batted throw. Miles was the one who had the knockdown on a screen. Fourteen pressures in true pass settings. So. That's good. You're generating those pressures there. But again, the conversion of sack was uh, was just not good enough. Coverage grades, JOK, Taki Taki, Tony Fields get your best marks. Newsom's really low. 
Thornhill in the 55, Emerson 57. So those those marks were pretty low. A lot of man coverage uh, makes that a little bit challenging when the pressure isn't getting home. And then specials to close out your special teams leaders. 23 from Kanasich, 23 from Matt Adams. That's where those guys belong, not on the field for any other portion of things. A.J. Green gets your highest special teams grade. Khalif Alassi gets a, a, a strong score as well. Pierre Strong. Those are your best metrics. The punting was not where you want it to be. Deep punts, but you need some of them to be down. Two touchbacks, not exactly what you're looking for there. A net of 46.3 is good, but try to find some middle ground where you can get some of those downed inside the 20-yard line. Only three punts on the day, which is pretty alarming considering you only score 12 points, right? And then field goals, you had a couple field goals, pretty simple stuff, not much for Hopkins to write home on a twenty to in the twenty to thirty nine range. He had two field goals and then an extra point. So not much to talk about special teams wise. Those guys remain sort of a quiet part of things. I am waiting for some creativity with a fake punt, something of the sort. You know, you don't mind your special teams being quiet, you know, if they're not hurting you in any way, that's also important as well. But but trying to find a net positive with them getting creative with a, f- a fake punt, something of the sort. The Browns haven't done much of that in recent years. Earlier in Kevin's career was a bit more adventurous with that, uh, but not uh, not so much. I haven't seen anything with Bubba on that front this year. Maybe they will save something up for the right time, right moment. We'll see, but just something of note. So, listen, that's all the data we have, performance notes we have. Browns lose 29-12. Let's see if they bounce back. Big discussions coming throughout the week on ramifications of this game, injury impact on the next as the Browns stay out on the West Coast and get ready for the Rams. We'll cover it all for you at the OBR. Joe Flacco Film Room tomorrow from yours truly. Check that out for now. That's it. Thanks for making the OBR Film Breakdown a part of your daily consumption. Appreciate you guys a ton. Have a fantastic Tuesday, and go Browns. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com